You are listening to Stimulus Podcast, Episode 9, Why and How to Take Breaks. I mean, you could probably do better on both of those fronts. Why and how, I mean, just taking a break in the first place. This episode was recorded about a year ago, actually just over a year ago, and I'll tell you, I have taken the lessons learned from our guest and found them to be extremely high yield. It was hard to put them all into practice all at once. It was bit by bit, but I'm going to give you a specific example of something I learned here, which when you hear it, be like, look, that's white belt entry level stuff. It is definitely the easiest to understand, but maybe the hardest to do. And that is when taking a break, not engaging in face-to-face time with my cell phone. Think about it. If you have a break room where you work, you walk in there, what are most people doing? They're hunched over their phone. That is not a brain refresh. That is a brain demotion, especially when you're engaged for most of your workday with a computer screen. And another thing I did, actually, okay, here's another low-hanging fruit from this, is I started walking outside for just a few minutes at a time, like every few hours, and it was like a cognitive squeegee. Walk outside, just stand there, just say nothing, just take in the sun, the air, sometimes the cold, listen and be quiet. Those two things, like just walking outside, taking some breaths in outside air, not engaging with my cell phone on a break, incredible return on investment for cognitive clarity throughout the day. But I'll say this, both of those things, especially the cell phone took discipline, cell phone especially, because there's always that hyper addictive black rectangle sitting around somewhere, just calling my name. We'll get way more into that during the show. And before we get into things, for those of you new to stimulus, this show is not about some governmental relief program in an economic downturn. It's not that kind of stimulus. What we do here is deconstruct and examine why we do what we do, how to do it more skillfully, why we think what we think, and are there ways that we can go through our day with more intent, more efficacy? These things apply to work. They apply to life. And frankly, you know, sometimes we just talk about interesting stuff that has nothing to do with anything I just said. For more information, go to stimuluspodcast.com, where you can subscribe on any app where you listen to podcasts. Let's get on with the show. Rob Orman here with Josh Russell. Josh Russell, clinician, but also scientist of the mind. We're going to talk about taking breaks, something we don't do so well or so often as clinicians, man, our self-care just sucks. <laughs> it sorry. really does in general, but certainly when it comes to taking breaks, that's an area that is a low-hanging fruit. So that's why I wanted to talk about that today. I was thinking about this yesterday when I went in for a shift and I was getting prepared, I was getting dressed, and I just started having kind of this negative feeling. And honestly, I do get that pretty regularly as I'm heading into work. I'm thinking, you know, I just had like a couple great days at home and some fitness, some great family time, some wonderful meals. And now I'm going in to another title fight with Mike Tyson. And I know that there's going to be certain challenges. They're always there. You're going to have at times too many patients. You've got the EMR to deal with. You've got XYZ. It's always the same stuff, you know, in different permutations. So I'm feeling a little bit negative, a lot of it. I thought, wait, I actually have control over how I'm feeling going into the shift. So I thought, well, what are the things I'm grateful for? You know, we've been talking about gratitude and having gratitude for whatever and how that's such a powerful force. So I started thinking, okay, I'm grateful for the training that I have and 
that I can actually do these things and care for these people. And I'm so grateful for my parents for supporting me through all my schooling and life and allowing me to come to this place. And I entered my shift feeling like, I don't know, a holy man. I felt so great. I was just walking on cloud nine. I couldn't stop smiling. The first couple patients was just, I felt so lucky to be doing this. And about two hours into it, all that veneer of happiness had been totally sucked out, squeegeed away. I was thinking, oh, I cannot listen to this story that is being told to me that actually has no relevance to this clinical presentation. I got five other patients who say, stop talking to me. And it's like, all right, I need a break. Negativity has totally, it hasn't even seeped in. It's saturated. It was affecting really my ability to listen and just my ability to have energy for the job and each patient interaction. So I just went into the break room, a couple of breathing exercises, had a little snack, a little drink of water, felt better. But frankly, the rest of the shift, I did not feel like a holy man. <laughs> I did not feel like I was walking on cloud nine. I felt kind of drained. And it made me think, wow, taking a break was you know, a little bit recharging, but we don't do it. And just can get into this kind of negative cycle of low energy, of low focus. And I think it affects our health, but not taking a break can really affect patient care. There's so many things about that story that I think are illustrative about not only the importance of breaks, but also the best way to go about taking breaks. And I really love that you recognize the change in your mood, your affective state that occurred and the consequences it was having in your ability to care for patients. That is something similar to what got me interested into learning more about breaks because I was experiencing some symptoms of burnout and feeling really depleted at the end of every single shift. And I started thinking back about my job as a server. And I think probably a lot of people had uh, service industry jobs before they got into medicine. And my personal experience was that working as a waiter was much better than any experience in medical school in terms of preparing me to practice in urgent care and the emergency department. But I was thinking back and when I was a server, I actually took up smoking briefly. Wait, and wait, wait, wait. Did you decide like, you know what? I think this is something I need to do. I actually did. I decided that, <laughs> but not for the reasons that you think. So as a server, much like when you're working clinically, there's no time for breaks. And because of some loopholes, I guess, in labor laws and working for tips, there were no allocated breaks for the wait staff. You're penalized, right? You're, yeah. you're going to be essentially financially penalized. For financially it. penalized. There's always drinks to be refilled. Somebody's food isn't cooked right. They're waiting for you to bring the check or pick up their credit card, whatever the case may be. But then I realized after being there for a couple months that there was a subset of the wait staff that was allocated special break treatment. And those were the smokers. What happened was every one or two hours, they would do the kind of universal pantomime gesture of two fingers to their mouth <laughs> to the floor manager. And then the floor manager would give an approving nod. And he or she, often also a smoker, would watch that waiter's section so they could have five or 10 minutes and go outside and smoke. No other group within the waitstaff was afforded any break or special treatment from the managers to help them out. So what I did was I said, I'm, I'm a smoker now. And I would go out <laughs> and I would kind of try to power, I mean, there's disgusting, but try to power my way through a cigarette. But I found at the end of the night, I was less drained. In retrospect, I realized it was the breaks and a lot of the aspects of going outside, being with coworkers, talking about 
non-work related things, those kind of things that made the shift that much more tolerable. And I would approach the shift and my work that was waiting for me when I got back with really renewed vigor that didn't happen if I just had to plow through the shift. And not just nicotine uh, (laughs) infused, nicotine hyped up vigor, but kind of the mental squeegee. I was more drained and nauseated by the the nicotine and tobacco experience, but the break was overpowering in terms of what it did for my, my mental state. When you're working in that environment, there is, just like in our environment, a paucity of natural break opportunities. There is always another patient to see. You have notes that are piling up. You have inbox results. Pharmacies are calling, asking you to change prescriptions. To make matters worse is this ethos and cultural expectation that clinicians just power through. There's always something to be done. We're all dealing with it, so suck it up and deal with it. I can remember when I was a fresh attending, there was a guy who never missed a meal during his shift. Never missed a meal. And sometimes, you know, he could eat his meal in three minutes. But he's like, look, if I have a code coming in, I'm going to eat my meal. I'll get to the code, but I'm not missing my meal. And at first I thought, you're weak, A. And B, you're lazy because you're making the rest of us do more work while you're doing that. But after a couple of years of watching that and watching him just as a human being, I thought, you're not any of those things you're really smart. I saw how he was recharged, but you know, we're kind of talking about like our feeling, right? Our gestalt that it helps. Is there evidence that says that you will perform better if you take a break? The short answer is there is abundant evidence that breaks are helpful across all different types of workers. Much like you as a young attending bristled at the idea of taking a break, thinking it was a sign of weakness. I think it's really a sign of maturity and understanding that we are all just human beings and we have an incredibly cognitively demanding job that's being asked of us. And arguably more so than nurses, techs, phlebotomists, who are all mandated to take breaks several times in their shift, but yet there's no such labor law saying that clinicians often have to do this. But there is a lot of evidence that doing so is cognitively beneficial. There's actually an entire field of psychology that's really devoted to studying this issue specifically, which is organizational psychology. And those are the psychologists that study how we perform at work and what affects us in positive or negative ways. And cognitive psychologists have identified several factors that affect our performance throughout the day. But the bottom line is no person performs with the same efficiency throughout an entire day. And that is the important take-home point about understanding how our brains work is they are not a car on cruise control. And one of the main things that we do is we're making decisions. Well-described on this show, decision fatigue. You probably just run out of those neurotransmitters. And there are thousands, really thousands of decisions. Some are micro, some are macro. You know, by the end of the day, it's why you feel lesser. You know, you, you feel wiped. There's certainly a decline in our ability to focus and pay attention. It's a term that is referred to in psychology as mental vigilance. And our vigilance wanes naturally through the day. Let me touch on that a little bit. You're talking about vigilance. And I'm thinking back to yesterday when I started out feeling really good. My mood was super positive. First patient was an intoxicated guy who was swearing. It wasn't like a pleasant intoxicated (laughs) guy. It was just smells and was urine soaked and all of this. And I'm looking back and thinking, oh man, I could not have been more compassionate and empathetic and just, hey, I'm with you. We're going to take care of you. And then a couple hours later, I was taking care of a sweet little old lady 
who wanted to tell me this kind of prolonged story. I'm thinking, I am so sour right now. I am so sour. Like, okay, my, that's when I needed to take a break. And I'm wondering if that mood shift, you know, it was good mood versus bad mood and a lot of from fatigue, whether that actually affects my decision-making. This has actually been studied extensively as well by organizational psychologists. And what they find is that during times when we're in a negative affective state, meaning a bad mood, kind of sour, as you put it, our ability (laughs) to be deliberate in our decision-making is compromised. There is a famous book that summarizes the work of Daniel Kahneman, who is a psychologist, but won a Nobel Prize in economics for studying the way that we make decisions. And he outlined really two ways of decision-making and thinking called system one and system two, also thinking fast or thinking slow, which is the title of his most famous book. And the system one thinking takes very little energy, the fast thinking. It's really intuitive. And that is the type of thinking that we tend to use more and more as our mood worsens. So intuitive thinking, based on how long you've been doing your career and how basic the presentation can often be appropriate, and it's a good way to conserve mental energy. However, there's a lot of times when we are dealing with a complex patient situation, someone who's maybe been recently hospitalized, has a lot of medical problems, and we need to use that system too, that deliberate kind of pros and cons, really weighing all the aspects of a case to avoid bias, to avoid falling into cognitive traps. But when we're in a bad mood, that mental energy is just not available to us, and we're stuck just using what comes to the top of our mind without putting a lot of thought into it because the system too is really not available to us because we're in such a bad mental place. So let's get to taking a break. My experience with this, when I take an effective break, because some of them actually are ineffective and we'll get into that, work is so much more fun. I'm way more efficient. I mean, I think about like at the end of a workday and I've got a couple of patients to disposition, I'm spinning the wheels and these are simple tasks. I'm so inefficient. But that happens throughout a shift as well. And when I take a break, more efficient. And I feel like when I reflect back on it, the care I've taken of my patients is way better. Maybe their outcomes will be the same. I don't know. But the way I feel about it and the way I see how that trajectory has gone, better. Right. And there have been specific studies looking at clinicians and how they behave at the end of the workday. And that same phenomenon has been demonstrated in data. And it's not just behavioral data, but it's also outcomes data. In terms of behavior, one study that has gotten a lot of press is a study of primary care clinics and examining the rate of antibiotic prescriptions at the end of the workday or in the afternoon versus the morning. And there's no reason to believe that the patients are systematically different in the, the, their coughs are more likely to be pneumonia in the afternoon. But the rate of antibiotic prescribing is way higher among clinicians in the afternoon. And that's presumably it could best be explained by this decision fatigue and this efficiency compromise that happens as our mental energy wanes. But the same thing has been demonstrated in other environments. There are more anesthesiology complications. Colonoscopists find less polyps in the afternoon. So there are, in a number of different practice environments, evidence that not only clinicians behave differently, but that patient outcomes are probably worse too. When I think about when I've taken a break, there are certain things that seem to work well. And I don't, I don't know if it's just me or if this is actually a universal, if I am on my phone, like, Oh, let me just get my phone. Let me look at ESPN or cycling news, check some email, do some text. When I do that as my break, I come back, I feel zero refreshment, zero. 
if I take a break that involves no tech, no screen time, and really nothing that even resembles what my job was before the break, and it's going to be after the break, the screen time, no refresh, no screen time, total refresh. I think that that anecdote corroborates evidence on what types of breaks are the most effective. And that's probably the first tip that I would give to providers as they're thinking about what to do on their break, because it really goes against what is most of our habits now when we have a minute of downtime or any spare attention, which is pull out our phone and check our text, check our email, whatever the case may be. But the thinking on this is that we have two essential states of mind. One is that of focus, which is hopefully what we're engaging when we're working clinically. And then the second is this default state or what's commonly referred to as the default mode network. And in order to recharge the focus capacity that our brain has, we really need to not be focusing on our break. So that first tip I would give to folks as they're strategizing what they're going to do on their break is it shouldn't involve your phone. If you are answering emails, I don't know if this actually is part of the science, but when you're answering emails or answering texts, you're actually making decisions because each one of those things is a little to-do list. Can I go to this party that, that I just got an RSVP to? Do I respond to this email now, later, whatever? Josh mentioned the term a few moments ago, the default mode network. And let's just take a moment to talk about that. There's actually debate as to whether it's a true anatomic structure of interconnected areas. Most of the evidence suggests that it is. It's kind of this amalgam of brain structures that activates in this unfocused state, like the flow state or daydreaming. But you can think of it, whatever, as a structure or just that mental state. And brain imaging, the default mode network, that unfocused state, turns off during focus And then in unfocused time, the focus area of the brain, that shuts down and the default mode network turns on. And we're going to hear in a bit about the power of nature sounds. I mean, it sounds like total new agey mumbo jumbo. And, you know, maybe it is, but there actually might be something to that when it comes to this default mode network. There was this really interesting study using functional MRI and heart rate. Actually, they used a pulse ox to measure the heart rate, call back to last month, and found that listening to naturalistic sounds was kind of a way to hack, I guess you could say, into our connection with nature and that subjects exposed to natural sounds, like kind of pleasing natural sounds, increased default mode network activity and also parasympathetic activity, kind of chillaxed them. It chilled them out. I've never thought of specifically doing that. We'll hear that actually Josh does as a strategy to activate a different part of the brain than what we're using in our multi-hyper-focused, clearly sympathetic brain activity during our shift. Really clever strategy. So this is just an overview of the kind of mental state you want to try to achieve during a break. So you think about all the different things that are going into your breaks. Like, hey, I've got to activate this default mode network, this unfocused part of my brain. But then that begs the question of where do you take a break? What about location? You could probably take a break in your same seat. And I know one doc who's, hey, just leave me alone. I'm going to eat an apple. Shut the hell up. I need silence for a minute. But I wonder that versus going into the quiet back office versus going outside, if reengaging that default mode network improves based on your environment. Sure. So I think location does matter and getting yourself out of a care environment is probably most important. Unfortunately, because of this culture that clinicians have of not taking breaks, 
There's often break rooms for other staff, but not really doctor break rooms. But a lot of departments will have a locker room or something to that effect. And there's always the bathroom. But the most regenerative location usually involves some sort of nature. And I think that it's best summarized by Peter Gibbons in Office Space. Human beings were not meant to sit in little cubicles staring at computer screens all day. And I think that's absolutely right. That's not what we were doing until very recently in human history. And so it makes sense that it would be more restorative to be in an outdoor environment. It's interesting you say that because when there's an ambulance coming in and if I don't have other stuff that I really need to attend to and it's just, you know, like a couple minutes, I'll go outside to wait for the ambulance because that's the only way you can get outside from the emergency department. Otherwise, you have to go to the labyrinth of a hospital. I wonder if that's my lizard brain saying, must go out into sun, must go out into nature. This is the reason why they often have scenes of a babbling brook playing in the patient's (laughs) rooms is because it actually does make a difference in terms of studies looking at how much analgesia that patients require after surgical procedures, if they have a room with a view versus not a view. So there is something powerful about exposure to nature and being outside is probably the best, but if you can't get outside, if you can find even a window to look outside, that's meaningful. Or, and we'll talk about this in a second when I talk about strategies for meditation, but if you have a way of just playing white noise. There's a lot of white noise apps and they can have anything from sparrows or birds chirping to, you know, the ocean, whatever. This is really break with intent. Yeah, absolutely. Here's a question I have. And I don't know if this is like screen time. Okay. Don't engage with the screen because all you're doing is engaging with the screen throughout your shift. You're also talking to people. You're talking to patients and those conversations, you know, kind of wears on your brain. And, and at the end of a day, whether it's getting another chest pain history, doing a well baby check, that history, it's almost hard to listen to, to engage with that person. So when you take a break, you know, in the break room, there's other people, or there might be someone else where you are, does talking to them, does that help? Or does talking to someone just use up those same neurotransmitters? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. It really depends a lot on what you're talking about. If you're leaving work, but then you're in the break room just saying, can you believe this lady that we're talking to? Like she's so demanding or this guy is back again. All those kind of conversations that really are just taking the work discussions out of the care environment and into the break room are probably not giving your mind much of what it needs in terms of a break. But social interaction is beneficial. And it's been demonstrated across a lot of different environments. But in terms of how we think about talking to patients, gathering histories like you're talking about, that's really a different mode of conversation. And it's goal-directed trying to extract information or accomplish a purpose. Whereas if you're talking to a colleague about how their vacation was, where their kids are, those kind of things, that type of social interaction is actually healthy and beneficial. And as an added benefit, getting to know your colleagues improves your team performance because then they're not just a nurse that you need to put in another IV or draw labs or whatever the case may be, but they are a peer who has similar kinds of life experiences outside of work. So the goal-directed interaction is like the screen time, but just the social interaction of, hey, I saw you swimming at the pool the other day, had a nice stroke, let's talk about swimming. Whatever. I know it's kind of weird, but, <laughs> but, uh, I admired your stroke from afar. I admired your stroke. Tell you, your, uh, your catch on your freestyle is, uh, simply epic. That's restorative. Absolutely. Now, you were talking about meditation, and I think people will probably say, meditation. I mean, I'm not going to get on some cushion and sit 
cross-legged and have the time to meditate. And, you know, maybe someone listening to this is not experienced with meditation. Maybe they are, and they actually have a meditation practice. But regardless, when you say meditation, I'm gathering that you don't mean take 10, 15 minutes to really go through some kind of process. And meditation certainly has that connotation when most people conjure up an image of someone meditating, but it needn't be 10, 20, 30 minutes sitting quietly. The most important ingredient is that you are separated from the care environment and that you're able to close your eyes and sit quietly and alone. Even a period of one or two minutes can be very beneficial in that regard. And if sitting quietly and meditating seems difficult, which it did to me when I first started doing it, there are apps on all the smartphones now that you can download for free and they can play guided meditations or just white noise that you can listen to with your eyes closed. So there's no magic behind any specific mantra or breathing technique that necessarily needs to be involved. It's just a matter of unplugging, closing your eyes and sitting quietly. How do you do it? What's your, so you go into, I don't know, a quiet room. What's your little break meditation? I have a meditation app called One Minute Meditation, which is free. It allows you to set a timer and then play some ambient noise. I choose a river. You just listen to the water running and then it hits a gong when one minute's up and you know that your meditation break is over. Oh, I like that. Yeah. I, like it's, it. It, it, I mean, it incorporates do you wear, a little Do you bit wear headphones or do you just put it on speaker? I put it on speaker and yeah, I'm in the locker room and sometimes... A person will come in, but they know that I do that every few hours. So I've gotten beyond the social awkwardness of sitting there with a- (laughs) Do you close your eyes when you're doing it? I do, yeah. And what, are you like visualizing something? I try to just focus on personally the sensation of the breath coming in and out through my nostrils. But I would be interested actually to hear what other people's experiences are. But I realize as soon as I close my eyes and stop- my thoughts are really racing pretty fast. It's like a NASCAR race the whole time I'm working. I don't realize it because I'm not paying attention to my thoughts. I'm just using them for functional purposes. But when I'm sitting there, it's like, for me, very challenging to actually just have a quiet mind. So it's more just understanding, wow, my thoughts are going really fast. And I try to just observe them rather than think, oh, when I get back out, I need to remember to order that CT scan or see if the the labs are back on that patient, whatever. The breath is your meditation object, the thing you're focusing on. And I, I do a similar thing without the app. But when we talked about this on our conversation with Jason Brooks is this breathing cycle where you breathe in for four, you hold for seven, you breathe out for eight. And that breathing with the breath hold and actually focusing on the count and the numbers is a similar thing. It really calms that excited state of your mind racing and having to make decisions and super refreshing. And another thing that I'll do, I'll try to walk by the water station mm-hmm. and my cocktail is half apple juice, half water, a 50-50, like that study for the kids hydrating with diarrhea. I think, hey, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Because I, I don't drink during a shift unless I kind of force myself as I'm walking by there. In one of the EDs where I work, one of the docs, he put up a pull-up bar. And whenever we walk by the pull-up bar, we do a couple pull-ups. Mm-hmm. Man, you know, we're talking about all this stuff like, ah, yes, you meditate, you go into this, you go into nature, you, you know, you become one with the universe for a minute and a half. Doing a couple of pull-ups, we actually wanted to get a heavy bag in there to have something to punch, but, you know, we couldn't figure out the place (laughs) for it. Doing a couple of pull-ups or putting a towel down on the ground, doing a couple Mm push-ups because don't want to touch that ground, it's disgusting. That's almost better than any of this stuff. I think so too. I, for me, it's jumping jacks. Oh, you must look like a total dork in the break. Like, what is that guy doing? Oh my God. Well, if you don't have any equipment, I guess the push-ups thing is always an option. You need a towel, but jumping jacks requires literally, literally zero equipment. <laughs> I do some jumping jacks and some squats. 
I don't know if you, were you trained, this was the, the reputation of the ortho residents, but where I was when you couldn't find them or they're they had the a gym. down, they're in the gym, right? In the gym. So they were at least onto something in that regard. They were spending their downtime using their muscles, being physically active. And we know that exercise in general for many, many years is good for your health, right? But there's actually been some recent studies, one in particular, where they looked at subjects that were taking cognitive word problem exams. And they found that the subjects, if they did intervals, I think they were using like a cycle ergometer, but it probably doesn't really matter. They were able to perform markedly better on a cognitive task immediately after doing some interval training. So it's not only that it's better for your health overall, but it actually boosts your cognitive performance immediately. And it's a great stress reliever. Probably better for the patients to see that you're doing pull-ups and like hitting <laughs> back, back in the office. All right. So we've talked about the elements of what a break looks like. And I think, I mean, you can take any of these things. It's, it's almost like a list of do not do. And you kind of pare away that stuff. And it's like, okay, here's what a healthy break looks like. But there's no built-in room for a break. And you think, I don't even have time to pee. But you do actually. But that's what our thought is. So how do you fit this in, maybe even structure it, or how do you fit this into a shift? Finding a time for a break is going to take intention because there is, like you said, no natural time to say, okay, there's literally nothing to do. I'm just going to relax and, and put my feet up. So when you're starting to try to form a new habit, it's important to make it achievable. And realistically, it's not pragmatic to say, I'm going to take 10 or 15 minutes away from all my responsibilities. The idea of the micro break is pretty useful in this setting. And the micro break just means taking a break that is not going to meaningfully affect the tasks that you have to do. So that can be as little as one or two minutes, but taking that every couple hours. And especially if like in the story that you shared that you notice that, oh my God, my thinking is not crisp right now. I'm not on my game, but that's always a good opportunity or a trigger to take a micro break. But otherwise every couple hours is a good idea. And I think it was too late at that point. I mean, I recovered somewhat, but I was definitely a little bit lesser still. I, I didn't feel totally refreshed after I took a break. So let's not talk about how you do it. I mean, do you have like an alarm that you set or a buzzer on your watch? Yeah. So every two hours, I have an alarm on my phone that will go off while I'm on shift. And that's my indication that I need to, next time I have a moment that's not engaged with a patient or something that's mission critical to be doing at that moment, that I go to the doctor's locker room. That's the most convenient spot. I do the one minute meditation. I do jumping jacks and squats and refill my coffee. Back to work, man. Back to work. Smoking breaks over. Yeah. And there's something that is referred to as the fresh start effect. And it's something that we all have experienced. It's what you said in the story that you shared when you showed up to work, you're feeling good. You're feeling like you could take on the day. Those first few patients of any shift, you're like, oh, I have no other responsibilities. All I need to do is just focus on this patient. I don't have to check up on any other results. It's awesome. Absolutely. And if you could have that same effect repeatedly through the day, it would be much more manageable. So with these breaks, you get that fresh start effect, that motivation, that vigor that you have in the beginning of the day, you get it repeatedly. So instead of just one long slog through a kind of blur of patience, what you have is a series of episodes that are discrete and you have fresh motivation after the breaks. Thank you so much, Josh Russell, for adding another tool to our quality of life toolbox. And it's not just improving the way we feel. I think strategies like this improve career longevity, improve 
career enjoyment, decreased burnout, improved patient care. I mean, it just wins all the way across the board. And talking about stuff like this or thinking about taking defined physical and cognitive breaks during a shift, you know what? It can seem, it almost feels antithetical to the ethos of not just emergency medicine, but medicine in general. It has always been, quien es mas macho? Show no weakness, show no weakness. But we, and I freely include myself in the we, absolutely take this ethos of just plowing through to the point of stupidity. We think that we're showing valor by pushing ourselves to the point of fatigue, but we're actually doing ourselves no positive service in the short term or in the long term. As I said in the conversation, I used to openly and vocally show disdain for my partners who took even very short breaks during their shift. Looking back on that, what a colossal ass I was. I mean, just a colossal ass. And since Josh and I had this conversation a few months ago, I started paying attention to my mental fatigue, my physical fatigue, my ability to focus on patient interactions, my ability to focus on charting. And as I feel my level of frustration increasing, kind of my willingness to go deep and be attentive, I know that I'm not at my best. It's time to take a short break. Now, I've not yet adopted the Q2 hour break, getting there, but I think that all of the strategies here, you know, not engaging with your screen, your phone, getting outside if possible, doing some kind of brief physical activity, doing something that is unfocused, worth a try. We need to stay hydrated, stay fed, stay focused and attuned by taking a few minutes every few hours to recharge. Now, it sounds obvious. It's like, oh yeah, of course. But you know what? If you don't do it, it'll never happen. And that's going to wrap it up for today, as you can tell by the peppy bagpipes. And I'll tell you, that's exactly how I have it listed in my audio library. Peppy bagpipes. Not even the original name of the audio file. Man, they're peppy. If you want to learn more about the show, you can find complete show notes and much more at stimuluspodcast.com. Actually, if you're looking in your podcatcher, all you see is an outline of the show notes. But we got the full Mac Daddy on the website. You can subscribe to our show in any podcatcher out there. And if you're on iTunes, give us five stars or thumbs up or that sort of thing. It's apparently meaningful and it spreads the love. If there's a topic you'd like to hear on the show, shout out, let us know. We actually just got a request from listener Fred Lemaire and he asked for a breakdown on getting things done. The David Allen Productivity Method GTD, it's sometimes called. And you know what? We just recorded that last week full circle, Fred. You'll be hearing it in the next few months. There's a contact link on the website. Until next week, my friends, be well, stay safe.